is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Deep hooray! It is gone! It's a no-hitter! Carlos Rodon! What a performance! Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly. We are getting late in January, which means we are getting closer and closer to February, which is when White Sox pitchers and catchers and then the whole squad reports closer and closer to spring training. We inch Sox fans 2023 ticket plans are available right now. We offer a variety of plans. When you lock in today, you'll get flexible payment plans, savings on single games, great seat locations, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash season tickets. Like the big voice guy said, I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. More than anything, it's your show, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. You want to talk a little White Sox? We are the place for you in the next hour or so. I know what you're up to. You're driving around, making your last runs for snacks, chips, dip for the upcoming couple of football games this afternoon and next week. I know you're thinking about the White Sox while you're driving around. How could you not? Give us a ring. We'll talk a little baseball. Charlie Bevins is our producer on the other side. Hi, Charles. Good to talk with Hello, you. Hello, Connor. Always, Good to talk to you as well. Always a pleasure. Hey, uh, right off the bat here, we have a lot to talk about. Here's, here's kind of the thumbnail for the hour. Uh, Charlie grabbed some sound. That's what we call in the business, some sound from both Dylan Cease, who met with White Sox reporters earlier in the week, and Lucas Giolito was on the MLB Network detailing a couple of different things that were news for those of us who, uh, I guess, aren't in on Lucas's training sessions. So, you know, most of us. We'll get to that in a little while. Um, want you to hear that kind of stuff. I know we played a little bit from Dylan uh, last week, but there's some new stuff there, too. think that will be interesting for you to hear. Also... We're going to talk about the bullpen. You know, last week was our, last Saturday, more specifically, was our first time talking here on the show, um, having been updated on Liam Hendricks' cancer situation, the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, Again, as a reminder, uh, the White Sox will not update his status until, at the very least, opening day. However... Um, after you know, giving it a, some time to, to have Liam make his statements and, and teammates kind of issue some, some well wishes, of course, and others, we'll talk a little bit about the state of the White Sox bullpen as they seem ready to uh, or set with a roster to open 2023 and talk about how Pedro Grafal, the new manager, may navigate some of those late inning opportunities, those save chances, what might be good ideas, what might be kind of off the wall things. I want to know what you think, how the White Sox could navigate Liam Hendricks' absence uh, here in the onset of 2023. More than anything, though, I was hipped just prior to the show about some big news for us here on the White Sox radio network. Our very own Len Casper, is celebrating a birthday today. We love Len, and you can get in touch with Len all throughout the season using the hashtag AskLen. You get to ask questions of Len Casper during White Sox games and you know, kind of talk with him as you go. Heck, we even had one White Sox fan who would listen all season long to our radio broadcasts get to do a voicemail question for Len on a game. I'm not saying we're definitely going to repeat that with some of the all-star question askers for this coming season, but we're probably going to repeat that with some of the all-star question askers for 2023. So if you want your voice on a White Sox radio broadcast, 
Charlie, it seems like the math of this is easy. You should just use the hashtag Ask Len all throughout the year. Pop in and ask Len Casper questions, right? I mean, this is a simple thing to do. Oh, absolutely. He's uh, he's a great uh, question answerer, if that is such a skill. Of course he is. Of course he is. And as a broadcaster, I think you need to be one. Now, the reason I brought Charlie in here, too, is that I had him do some little extra last-minute homework right before the show started uh, to take you behind the scenes frantically. I was like, Charlie, it's Len's birthday. Please pull some fun stuff that Len did. So, Charlie, what do we have for everyone? We have both the Field of Dreams call and the no-hitter call. Do you have a favorite? Because, I, I mean, Len Casper is he's a, he's a hell of a broadcaster. Marlins, Cubs, of course, we had some great moments. And I, it's the Cubs, but it's, we're talking about Len's broadcast work. Uh, and, and here, in the last two seasons of White Sox baseball, there have been some doozies, and, and I think those are the top two, but I absolutely have a favorite, and I'll tell you, but I want Charlie to go first. Yeah, how about, let's start with the Field of Dreams call. That one is my personal right. favorite. Yeah. Uh, just because, just the pure joy in his voice when he says White Sox win. Short lead by Sebi. The pitch is hit in the air. Deep to right. That ball is gone. White Sox win. The Field of Dreams. Nine eight the final. Just an absolutely unhinged game. That's for sure. The long version, and I, I'm going to give Charlie some extra homework. The long version of that because it's a it's a lengthy. You know, it's it's it was beefy. The moment, right? It has, this is my favorite Len Casper moment with the White Sox so far because he and DJ work together so well to put the button on the thing. The moment was huge. It was maybe the story of the summer in all of Major League Baseball. And I just thought, what a better way. How could there possibly be a better way for Len to kind of introduce himself to the White Sox audience and for us here at ESPN 1000 to kind of help the White Sox audience uh, have a good time in the summer of 2021. That's, that's by far my favorite call yet of Len's. Yeah, and um, it, it's funny because that is that call is in our open for all our White Sox games. Of course. And it always the, gets me so pumped up before the game starts. The moment, so Ryan McGuire, to take you behind the scenes again, listeners, to kind of our workings here at the network, we love to do it. Ryan McGuire, good friend, great guy, wonderful radio programmer, uh, was our executive director of White Sox baseball that summer. Uh, immediately after the game, Ryan was cutting that to throw into all of our promos, all the all the opens, everything. Like the moment the ball landed in right after Tim hit it, Ryan has already started cutting that thing up and adding it into all of the promos. And I'm sure Eric has, was doing the same thing. So that's kind of one of them. This one, though, I mean, the, the Rodon no-hitter happened earlier. I mean, it was a cold night in April against the Guardians, and it really could have been a perfect game. But I thought Len did this no-hit call about as good as anybody can. Another 3-2. Ground ball to third. Moncada up with it. Throw to first. It's a no-hitter. Carlos Rodon has no-hit the Cleveland Indians. The 20th no-hitter in Sox history. So I, I, I think I've told this story on air before. And if I haven't, here's something for you. 
I had never seen a no hitter before in person. That was that was my first Rodon's. I had been to a lot of baseball games. I've been lucky enough to cover the game for a long time, uh, not a really long time, but long enough to have been close to some of them. In fact, the closest I've gotten to seeing a no hitter was at Wrigley Field. It was a White Sox Cubs matchup, actually, and if you remember. Ted Lilly for the Cubs and Gavin Floyd for the White Sox both took no hitters into the seventh. I think Lilly's went a little bit longer, if memory serves. Juan Pierre broke up one half, and I forget who broke up the other. Um, but it was getting really close. Uh, I was working for another shop at the time, White Sox rights holder, and I was I was going to go down on field and, and grab Gavin and throw him onto the broadcast if he completed the no-hitter, that whole thing. That's as close as I had gotten to seeing a no-hitter live. So, as Rodon was mowing down Guardians... Len, in this, in between the sixth, after the top of the sixth, at guaranteed rate field, Guardians go down one, two, three, of course. Len goes, he's going to do it. He said it. He caught right there, not on air. He said it to us, and I, I'm saying it now because I, I want you to know. He said it. He's going to do this. I I didn't believe him at the time. I truly didn't. Um, just because I'd never seen something quite like it. And to be quite honest with you, the... Because of how cold it was, I figured, and, you know, Rodon's out there working with, you know, six buttons unbuttoned and no sleeves under the jersey and everything. I just, with with it being that cold, I didn't think that a pitcher was going to be able to, you know, consistently manipulate the ball. Like, I mean, I know hitting is difficult in cold weather, same as pitching is, all that kind of stuff. But I, I just thought it would be much more difficult um, than it ended up being, or I guess that Doran ended up proving it being. So uh, those are some two fun ones. I, if you've got another favorite Len Casper moment, let us know. 312-332-3776. Happy birthday, Len. Uh, this whole, the, we, we're all better because you're around. All right, a couple of things I wanted to get to. It, it, since we've gotten the Rodan call out of the way, um, Let's stick with pitching a little bit here um, and after the break. I, I want to talk some about how the White Sox may navigate the last couple of innings of games, at least in the outset of 2023. Obviously, w- without Liam Hendricks, one of the best relievers in the game, uh, I believe he was seventh on MLB Network's top 10 relievers right now list, which, you know, it's it's not an end-all, be-all list. We'll talk about one error they made concerning the White Sox a little bit later on in the show. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a good, it's a representative list of, you know, who's hot, right? And Liam having been American League reliever of the year in back-to-back seasons, and, you know, I mean, he's a guy you can count on for 35, 40 saves in a year. He will take the ball. Um, the White Sox will have to change that kind of um, change the, the the prescription at the end of the game, I think. Now, fortunately for the Sox, they are equipped with a number of guys who have the stuff and some experience in closing down games late. The first and most obvious guy that's probably going to get saves for Pedro Grafal and for Ethan Katz coming out of the bullpen will be Kendall Graveman. However, Graveman kind of struggled in back-to-back outings last year, and at one point, you know, fairly early on, um, was not tabbed to go back-to-back outings, uh, day by day, um, uh, back-to-back days. It just wasn't something that they were able or comfortable uh, to do with the way he was kind of responding to some of those games. Now, that's not atypical for relievers, but it is certainly something way more difficult if that guy is your closer or a guy who has those concerns 
is your closer. Now, for that reason, and I, I think a lot of White Sox fans are probably screaming into their car speakers right now, Reynaldo Lopez's name, and I, I think you're right. In fact, Ethan Katz, White Sox pitching coach, uh, was on a, uh, an interview that we did with him a couple of weeks ago, uh, maybe more like two months ago, something like that, and kind of mentioned Reynaldo's name as a guy who could close later on down the line that, that might have had that kind of thing. Reynaldo talked about it toward the end of the season. I could see myself as a closer and ever having a good go uh, as a starting pitcher for the White Sox after having come over for the Washington Nationals in the Adam Eaton trade. Reynaldo, I mean... He had always had a very lively, very effective fastball, and he located it fairly well, too. But the slider was a pitch that really needed to come around in order to make him the kind of wipeout, high strikeout sort of guy you like to see at the back end of the bullpen. And it did. That that really became an effective, useful pitch for him. He had the eye surgery, you know, corrective eye surgery that seemingly helped a lot, you know, it was just if it's, you know, he's kind of mentioned it, too, just with the confidence that he's got in being able to, you know, see the catcher's signs and it's you know different obviously with PitchCon now but it, it made a difference um and rose um rather Ronaldo has kind of talked about that some i i wouldn't be too surprised at all if your first option parentheses options for the white Sox in the first two months first two and a half months of 2023 are kendall graveman and Ronaldo lopez as option 1b for pedro grafal and the white Sox. i i think what that does for you is it allows Aaron Bummer and Jake Diekman and maybe a mix of some other right-handers that can handle lefties well to kind of be that matchup situation wherever it needs to happen, you know, seventh, eighth, something like that. It allows you to kind of rotate that eighth inning a little bit with Joe Kelly and Aaron Bummer. Maybe Jose Ruiz needs to take a step up uh, and be able to pitch a little bit better than he has in pressure situations. Ruiz has been a steady guy. He's he's able to get you out of stuff and has the stuff um, that, that looks like it might have the capability of stepping up in class a little bit or at least in pressure some. Uh, it would be big for the White Sox and, and for Ruiz, for that matter, to be able to make that next little step here. There's another couple, though, factors uh, that I think could come into play early on for the White Sox in 2023 toward the back end of the bullpen. And we'll get to those when we come back. We're also going to hear from Dylan Cease and Lucas Giolito this afternoon. So stay with us. More White Sox Weekly to come right here on ESPN 1000. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White, White Sox, Sox Weekly. Weekly. ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. It's White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Out and see the White Sox in 2023 and become a White Sox insider today for sweepstakes, special offers, Friday Five, pre-sales, and other exciting Sox content delivered free to your inbox. Visit whitesox.com slash insider today. Talking about the bullpen situation for the White Sox and how they'll have to work around the ninth inning, late innings. That'll be a really interesting um, kind of run of questions that White Sox beat reporters ask of Pedro Grafal and Ethan Katz once camp starts here. By the way, pitchers and catchers report February 15th, so just a couple of weeks from now. And the full first full squad workout is the 20th with the first game of spring training 
uh, February 25th. And of course, that you can hear right here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Radio Network. Now, um, we've been talking about who gets the opportunities first, who's, who's first crack. And I, I don't think it should surprise anyone, at least, you know, the speculation leans heavily toward Kendall Graven. But there are a couple of things, a couple of factors here that I kind of wanted to talk through and kind of think through with you as the White Sox look to kind of, uh, you know, bolster that situation or at least uh, reinforce it. Remember a couple of things. One is that while Pedro Grafol and the bulk of the hitting infrastructure and, and for that matter, um, some of the, uh, the, the defensive instruction, that's all new. That's all brand new and different with, with a new coaching staff. However, pitching infrastructure, whether that's Ethan Katz, the pitching coach, Kurt Hassler, an assistant pitching coach and bullpen coach, Rod Larson, who's kind of on the uh, sabermetrics and high-speed camera side of things, that is all, you know, extant. That's been around since Katz has gotten here uh, prior to the 2021 season. That's big, I think, because you've got a first-year manager in Pedro Grifol. And while the, the, the expectation is and the reputation is that this guy knows his way around the clubhouse and understands what it is uh, to manage a ball club, even though he hasn't done this before. One of the biggest things, in, in my opinion, and I think in the opinions of many, that a manager matters for is making those bullpen decisions, being able to manage those pitching changes. And it's not just get this guy up, get him in for this hitter. Every manager, and Tony talked about this a lot in the two seasons he was here, you, you've got to think moves ahead, right? Multiple moves ahead. The, the tree branches, and as it does, the decision tree, you, you've got to be able to know what's coming uh, from either branch, from any branch, really. What, what hitters are left on the other side. Now, the three batter minimum does make it a little bit different nowadays, but the, the possibilities are still there. And you think in terms of pockets, right? Eh, you got two lefties out of the next three coming up in the sixth inning. So maybe I can use, you know, that kind of place. That's, that sort of strategy is what you're looking to do. That's difficult for most managers. Um, it is even more difficult for first-time managers. That's why I'm really encouraged. Uh, by the way, Pedro has talked over and over about the communication that is absolutely necessary in 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 maintaining and improving and keeping it absolutely perfect between himself uh, his pitching infrastructure his individual pitchers all that kind of thing is is absolutely crucial but having a veteran you know kind of staff in cats and hassler and is going to be really important i think for him to lean on and in that sense i think the white Sox did a really good job of hiring, you know, kind of one side, if you think about it as kind of an offensive and defensive coordinator kind of thing, I, I guess I've got, you know, football on the mind because we've got some fun games coming up a little bit later. It's not that simple in baseball. There's a little bit more cross, uh, a little less crossover, but still a lot of uh, interdependence between the two sides. Um, you, you've got an, a, a structure that can kind of work on its own on the pitching side of things in that bullpen. One other thing, though, that I think, and, and this is where that dependence kind of resurfaces, one other thing that I think can make the White Sox save situations much easier for Kendall Graveman, for Aaron Bummer, should he get some, for Joe Kelly, for Reynaldo Lopez, for anybody who's out there trying to lock down outs 25, 26, and 27, is the White Sox offense giving the team bigger leads to protect in 2023. And I... I know you're going, oh, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> win, win more games, buy more runs. Isn't that simple? But it, it is, but I think it's worth kind of hammering home here. 
Liam is one of the best players on the White Sox. You know, it's his position means he's only pitching 40 to 50, maybe 55 times a year. And that's just kind of the nature of bullpens. However, in terms of the best there is at what he does, Liam's on that list and, and other White Sox are looking to crack into that list or back into that list, as it were. We'll talk about some of those MLB top tens right now, a little bit later on in the show. So when you're, when you're without your best, you need everybody else to kind of rise up and, and get things done. Having a two-run lead is easier to protect than a one-run lead. Having a three-run lead is better than a two-run lead. And not having a save opportunity by virtue of having a five-run lead is probably the easiest way to go out and win ball games. And I think, you know, over and again, we come back to the offense, whether that's being on base, hitting more home runs, not necessarily hitting for average because the White Sox did that well in 2022, but without Jose Abreu, uh, you've, you've got some average to make up. Being healthy always factors into the discussion when you're talking about 162 games of baseball and the White Sox over the last couple of years have struggled to stay on the field when it comes down to you know some of their most important players, especially. So all those things matter, and I think all those things help improve um, a save situation, a ninth inning situation, as it were, for the White Sox in this coming season. One more, though, is, is defensively. Um, being cleaner defensively is big, absolutely huge. And the White Sox on defense did not achieve what they needed to last year. It's part of the reason they were probably not the biggest reason, but certainly part of the reason they were mired at 81 and 81 for the year. I think signing Andrew Benintendi, and I, I've, I've said this, I, I think since I started this job uh, for the second time a couple of years ago, corner outfield defense to me is Big in this game right now with the propensity of fly balls. And maybe it's changing a little bit here, but with the idea that hitters are looking to launch, get the ball up in the air, do damage with extra bases, that means anything that's not over the wall needs to get caught by one of those three outfielders. So outfield defense play is very, very big. Now the shift not being in base, moving into the infield, the shift being illegal in 23, starting in 2023, is I think going to change quite a bit of of how we regard our infielders anymore. I mean, no longer, and I, I know a lot of people use Mike Moustakis having played second base for a couple of different teams, the, the Reds, the Brewers. Uh, Kansas City play him at second base just a little bit late in that. I don't think they did. Either way, though, that's a big-bodied dude. That's a thick fella with a couple of different Cs playing second base. And when you're shifting... You can get away with that when you're not, when you can't. You need a little bit more live, a little bit more active second baseman. Um, the White Sox have yet to name a starting second baseman, and, and obviously that defense on the left side is going to matter a lot more, which is why Tim Anderson having a good defensive year and Yohan Moncada doing the same is, is important. Uh, but you know, being able to man all those positions is a pretty big thing. And in fact, a little bit later on in the show, when we talk about a big trade in the AL Central, We'll talk a bit, a little bit, uh, about the defensive spectrum and, and kind of how guys figure to matter. One more note, reliever of note, that I want to mention here, who I don't think will necessarily get save opportunities, or at least you know probably won't be thought of as a, as a top guy to go get him. It's Jimmy Lambert, and he's got options left, one of them to be specific. Uh, and a year and you know, a change, a year and a quarter of service time so far, Lambert absolutely broke out in 2022. And yeah, 
um, you know, he and I talked a little bit, I think on White Sox Weekly late in the season, and it, it was a long year, and he did flag a little bit in terms of, um, I guess, in-game stamina or uh, inter-game stamina. Uh, but that's to be expected for a guy making a change from starter to reliever, not really having done that job before. I, I think all things considered, Jimmy did really well. He's also 28 years old, so like prime to kind of solidify those results. I, I know that the White Sox, and, and you should know too, they added Nick Avila, a right-hander, a 25-year-old, in the Rule 5 draft from the Giants back in December. And without going too deep into Avila's pitch mix or kind of how he figures, roster-wise, the White Sox have to keep him on that for on that active roster or risk releasing him back to the Giants. That's the nature of the Rule 5 draft, which means that the guys that can move around, the guys that do have options in this bullpen, are only two, Jimmy Lambert and Aaron Bummer. You don't figure Aaron Bummer to get uh, sent back down to AAA for any reason other than uh, rehab work, If should he get injured, and hopefully that's not the case. But that means that Lambert might be a guy that has to shift up and down. Ruiz is out of options, uh, and the rest, Diekman, Lopez, Kelly, Graveman, I mean, these guys are veterans who have been there for a long time, so there isn't the kind of flexibility in this White Sox bullpen from an option standpoint um, as other years have had. A couple of things I thought were worth noting, uh, and then I guess one more. You know, Garrett Crochet figures to be back from Tommy John at some point, in this coming season, at least that would be the, the optimistic timeline. I mean, Tommy John's can last for a while. It's not a, you know, it's, it's a much better uh, rehab timetable than it used to be. Um, it is not easy. And I, I feel like I, I say this every off season when a Tommy John conversation comes up, like the, though the results are much better and the success rate is much, much higher. Please keep in mind that the rehab for these guys in Tommy John surgeries coming back, it is absolutely brutal. Mentally, it can be so, so taxing to say nothing of the fact that you're rehabbing away from your teammates and you just don't, in most cases, and you don't have the kind of, you know, connective tissue with your, your friends, um, the, the breaking of the scar tissue, the up and down nature of it, the setbacks that will invariably occur during your rehab from Tommy John surgery. I think sometimes as baseball fans, we see these pitchers come back. Ah, oh, it's Tommy John. He's fine. Come back in, 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 in 12 months. He'll come back in eight months if he pushes it really hard. It's fine. He'll be good. Maybe, yeah, that could be the case. And you certainly hope so for Garrett Crochet. But do keep in mind that whenever Garrett comes back on the mound, he has been through one hell of a rehab process uh, and deserves a good round of applause when he gets back onto that mound at Guaranteed Ray Field or wherever. He makes his 2023 Major League debut. Uh, we've got some sound from Dylan Cease that we want to play, some sound from Lucas Giolito as well, and I want to talk about the big trade in the Central. The Twins picking up more pitching and getting rid of one of the league's best contact hitters into the National League, how that changes the Central a bit. That's all coming up on White Sox Weekly. It's ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. FM 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Sox fans, if you're planning a special occasion and looking for the perfect location, we've got you covered. When you reserve your group outing for 2023, 
You get priority access to the biggest matchups and the best space for your group. For more information, visit whitesocks.com slash groups. Sox games, better with groups. Come out with everybody. It's a blast. Uh, Opening day not too far away. Spring training even closer than that. And White Sox players are beginning to speak to the media and kind of talk a little bit about what their off-seasons have looked like. It's weird that they can – I don't know about you, but like at the same time, it feels like it's January 21st, but it also feels like it's it's not. Like I don't – maybe this is just me. I I, I had a kid – well, my wife had a kid about five weeks ago. So time is just a – it's a it's a malleable concept a right now. I I, I don't I don't know, time. Charlie. I don't know what day it is. I only know whether there's White Sox Weekly today or not, and then that locates a Saturday for me. But I, I don't know. I don't know what day it is or what time of year it is. I don't. Has have we seen the sun in the last like six weeks? Either is it just me? I'm not sure. Well, that's the thing about Chicago. Because didn't this happen? Didn't this like literally happen a month ago where we maybe. went? 17 days without sunlight or something like that maybe it feels that way it feels that way I, and i just don't you know you you get out you 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 read mlb trade you know get up in the morning you have a cup of coffee maybe you click on mlb trade rumors maybe you go to fan graphs maybe be baseball prospectus maybe you're clicking the guys at socks machine maybe you're you know headed over to the, the twitter profiles of 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 your favorite players or whatever and you're doing your baseball checkup and you look out in the glooming it's gray it's dark it's cold and you think, oh my God, why why isn't baseball here yet? When will it possibly? When will it ever come? Uh, soon, I, I promise you, soon. Even though it doesn't feel that way, anyway. There's some sound that's come in lately, and uh, Charlie, who you just heard from, chopped up some of this stuff. Dylan Cease made a little bit of news. He was on the rosters or invited to the rosters, I guess is the particular way to say it, um, for both Team USA and Team Israel in the World Baseball Classic. He decided that's not for him this season and explained why earlier this week. Yeah, I, I decided uh, I decided not to. Um, I was looking forward to it, but but it, it made more sense to go around to uh, prepare for the season as opposed to um, pitch for it. Is, it. is that, I know you haven't been in the game, you know, uh, that long, but has that changed a little bit? It seems like a lot of players are gravitating more towards that competition now. Where, where it started, it might have been, a little tougher to get guys to compete in the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's um, it's definitely a huge honor and and uh, you know, exciting. Anytime you get the opportunity to to represent something bigger than yourself like that, I, I think it's a really big deal. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of it is just the unfortunate reality of having to weigh weigh what's what's um, you know, kind of not what's more important, but essentially, you know. What what I'm preparing for and and uh, you know it just it made more sense not to risk anything with it and and to prepare for the season. Yeah, and I I'm with Dylan on that. Remember too, after his rookie season of 2019, where he threw 73 innings in the big leagues, 2020, which was of course the pandemic season that nobody liked, he made 12 starts and threw 58 and a third. In 2021, Cease led the White Sox in posts in 32 starts, 165 and two-thirds innings, more than doubled combined inning total of his last two seasons, again, pandemic and his rookie season. Then, last year, finishing second in the Cy Young voting, 184 innings, 32 starts yet again. That's back-to-back seasons of 32 starts. And I know some of the older baseball fans that listen are going to go, well, listen, Benny McLean won 30 games in 68. So I don't know what the hell you're talking about. How hard can this be? It's, this is, we are in a different era and that is a lot of innings to throw. And Dylan did them. Dylan pitched them very, very well uh, to the tune of a runner up to Justin Verlander for the Cy Young. So I, I get 
that Cease kind of has, and I, I get he was being diplomatic a little bit, but it, eyes on the prize and what matters to him is, is what, uh, you know, what, what gave him a pay bump and got him a lot of, um, a lot of bonus money. Remember this year, uh, players with less than six years service time were eligible in a couple of different ways for a pool of bonus money. This was put into the CBA uh, and Dylan, by virtue of finishing where he did in the Cy Young voting, I think brought down a cool two mil there. Maybe it was a mildo uh, and then got the raise from about 700 K to 5.7 million this year. So that is uh, it's good work if you can get it now. Dylan also talked about his off-season kind of uh, workout plans, his kind of uh, strategy of an off-season changing a bit this year as opposed to years past. He is starting bullpens later this season and explained why. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is um, there's a lot less to, to work on. You know, the previous season I, ha- I had a lot of uh, a lot of things that needed to be ironed out, whereas now it's it's more, I think, rest and just making sure – making sure my body's ready and prepared for the long run is a little more important right now. So um, I'm, I'm able to kind of fine tune some of the little things as opposed to having to do like a whole lot of work uh, up front. Is that kind of the priority of getting deeper in the games or being able to be fresh through a long playoff run ideally? Yeah, I think, I think both of those. Um, I, I haven't exactly seen the full spring training schedule or anything for me, but uh, I, I think it'll be um, – a little bit of a there's less that needs to be done early you know it's more about getting kind of ready for that you know that beginning of the season and and uh beyond stretch james feegan of the athletic with the follow-up question there and it's a good one too i i think it's in talking with dylan a couple of times he guessed it on white Sox weekly late in the season last year too actually but right before the all-star break when everybody thought he was going to the all-star team and he should have and then later on in the season as well um, there is a, and it would be easy to think it's cockiness. It's, it's absolutely not. It's confidence. It's, um, surety. There is a level at which, where he feels in his delivery, where some of that stuff, um, some of the mechanical stuff is just, it's working. It's, it's there now for him, uh, arm position, maybe even release point to a certain degree, footfall, stride length, some of those things. Um, he feels and has talked about a little bit are are there they're locked in they're not work points anymore and when you get to that point as a pitcher that means you can kind of focus on some other things and like vegan was kind of teasing around there james was is that about getting deeper into ball games maybe not necessarily but it could help you might see that happen two things where, where dylan sees and ethan katz has talked about this a lot we've talked about it a lot here on weekly they're, they're really as good as Dylan was last year. There are two, and it's crazy to feel this. It's crazy to see this, but there are two clear areas where he can get even better. And what does even better Dylan Cease look like? He can last deeper into ball games. I think, generally speaking, there are some where you're not going to, you know, but that happens. He can get deeper into ball games, I think, and he can walk fewer hitters. Those things should be tied together. You walk fewer. You're hanging around more ball games. He walked the league-leading 78 last year, and that's probably as, uh, as big a reason as any um, that he finished second in Cy Young voting to Justin Verlander by a good piece. 78's a lot of walks. So even cutting that in half, I mean, you cut it by a third, and that's a big, big difference in terms of base runners you got to work around, strikeouts you need, um, big ground balls you got to have, all those kinds of things. Couple from Dylan Cease. Oh, you know what? One more from Dylan Cease uh, that I wanted to get here too. It's it's short, 
Um, it doesn't give a lot away, but I think it's worth kind of a, a check-in sort of play here. Dylan was in his second year of arbitration this season. Uh, pardon, first year arbitration this season. And uh, got the big raise, right? So here he talked about the potential broaching of any contract extension with the White Sox. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I'd always be, I'd always be open to something that's, that's a fair, good deal. Um, I don't, to my knowledge, there's, there's nothing in the works in that regard, but, um, I love Chicago and, and I'd always be open to, you know, open to having a dialogue for sure. Not, not a lot there. I hear you. Uh, and, and no alarm bells either that they haven't started talking, you know, extension. He is at three years of service time, ARB eligible uh, up until 2026. That's his first eligibility at free agency. Um, and Dylan is a guy, you know, obviously he wasn't drafted as a White Sox. Of course, he was in the Jose Quintana trade, a big piece that came over with Aloy Jimenez. But the White Sox has spent a lot in terms of development for Dylan Cease. Um, and it has paid out in in as good a way as you could possibly imagine for both player and for team. And those are the kind of guys that you want to sign to extensions if you can. He is also one of the best pitchers in baseball. And pitchers, if you haven't noticed over the last offseason, who boy, do they get paid. They get paid. So he'll be 30 uh, at his free agent season or be, uh, beginning his age 30 season, uh, born in 95. So it's something to keep an eye on you know that's already all it is uh lucas giolito spoke with mlb network uh yesterday friday i just talked about it I, I don't know what day it is it was two days ago so whenever it was whenever it is today two days before then and you'll hear from lucas when we come back it's white Sox weekly on espn 1000 Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN1000. 1000. 1000. You can stay up to date on all things White Sox by following the team's official social media accounts. Don't miss a minute of the action on and off the field. Follow the White Sox on social media today. They're just at White Sox, simply enough. Everywhere you can social media, even Twitter, as long as it's still around. Speaking of, uh, we're on Twitter, at ESPN White Sox, where it's where you can get all the latest news and updates uh, from us here at the White Sox Network. Uh, C1 McKnight is my own Twitter handle. I do some tweeting from time to time. A lot heavier in baseball season, you know, once we get there with the news and whatnot. I'll be down at spring training for a little while. Uh, we'll tweet some stuff from there and get you some news and grab some interviews and uh, perhaps do a game or two. Looking forward to that. We are getting closer and closer. February 15th, just a couple of weeks away, pitchers and catchers report for the White Sox. Now, we've been talking about a couple of different things, and it's kind of been a pitching-focused episode of White Sox Weekly today. That continues. Lucas Giolito was on the MLB Network and talking a bit about his offseason, uh, about last year, uh, a couple of different things. So uh, we'll start here. It sounds like this offseason has been a pretty big change in focus for Lucas compared to last year. Uh, he talked a bit about his offseason work here. Last season, I was I was really out of sync for, for most of the year. And so when I got home for the offseason – it was uh, very important that, you know, we kind of identified like the issues where I was firing incorrectly in my uh, delivery and uh, 
got on a nice uh, plyo ball program. Um, got to shout out uh, Ryan Chapman, Chapman Baseball Compound down in Irvine. Um, working out there has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, really just kind of getting things back in sync, getting like the whole chain from ground up, uh, firing everything at the, the right times, um, getting my rotation back with throwing. And it's been uh, some really, really good work. I'm looking forward to the season. There's a little video of Lucas working out at that Chapman baseball facility. Uh, I shouldn't say working out. He's throwing off a mound um, at that facility. And you can notice uh, some difference in his mechanics, his his kind of positioning, club positioning, hand separation, uh, lead leg, all that kind of stuff. Radio isn't the best medium for it, obviously. I don't want to talk you through a guy's mechanics. That probably bore you to death. It'd be difficult to do and kind of tough to locate. But suffice it to say... There's some changes for Lucas mechanically that will hopefully help him have a much better season in 23 than he did in 22. He was also asked whether the weight gain of last year's off season is something he's sticking with. Here's Lucas. Yeah, that was a, a bit of an experiment that might have gone wrong uh, last <laughs> last off season. Uh, I actually I got really big. I felt really strong coming into spring, but my body just did not hold up great. Uh, with all that extra weight. So this off season, uh, the focus in the gym and nutrition wise, it's been all about uh, getting lean back to like a very comfortable weight for me and uh, all about explosiveness, strength, stability, um, mobility as well. Uh, for me being a big guy, it's really important to be athletic so I can repeat my delivery. So that's been the main focus and I'm back down to a good weight. Uh, he was asked about his changeup, a nasty pitch for him in years past and something that he had to uh, battle to find a bit in 22. Although I, I, the, the question is knocked out of this, but it, it was kind of posed to him like the, the changeup was um, a mystery to him all season. And it, it wasn't. I mean, it, there were starts where, oh, there it is. You know, there's that changeup from Lucas. First couple innings, it wasn't there, and then he'd find it, a bunch of strikeouts. Heck, there was a, a start, I think, against the Royals, just kind of pulling this from memory, but I think it's the Royals where he struck out like seven of the first 11 hitters and a lot of them on changeups, and then it all kind of evaporated him in the, in the fourth or the fifth, and he ended up getting chased from that game in a tie ball game. And that was, that was kind of how the changeup was. Anyway, he was asked about that particular pitch. Yeah, yeah. When when my changeups on, it's it's absolutely my best pitch. Um, you know, I had I've had a lot of starts in my career where it was fastball changeup only because the changeup was working. And uh, yeah, last season getting out of sync, uh, I started to kind of push it a little bit more. Um, it wasn't getting that good action I wanted, so we started to more heavily rely on the slider. But then towards the end of the year, I started getting that feel back and. Uh, you know, started getting that good horizontal movement, good sync on it. Uh, and right now in my throwing program, that's kind of where it's at. So I'm looking forward to the change of being back right where it needs to be. Lastly, from Lucas, he was asked about new White Sox manager, Pedro Grafal. Yeah, they've been fantastic. I think Pedro is going to be uh, absolutely wonderful for us. Um, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but... Uh, I had a, a very, very nice long conversation with him uh, right after he got hired. Um, you know, he said all the right things for us. It's really about getting our team together, getting us all on the same page, um, knowing what the goal is, and then working towards that goal every single day. You know, kind of 
doing a really good job of building unity in our clubhouse mm-hmm. and uh, going from there. And I think that uh, based on what Pedro was telling me, that's what he's all about. And so I'm looking forward to, you know, kind of building that relationship once we get out to Arizona. Very similar refrain from Dil- uh, from Lucas there about Pedro. We kind of heard something similar from Dylan last week and from a lot of different players, uh, Andrew Benintendi included when he- we had him last week, uh, Dylan a couple weeks ago, um, talking about White Sox manager, new White Sox manager, Pedro Grifol. So two more things here before we wrap up the show and get out of here for the week. Um, Eloy Jimenez was named a the 10th best left fielder in Major League Baseball by MLB Network. They do their top 10 right now in each and every position mentioned Liam Hendricks was uh, seventh on the reliever list and Eloy Jimenez was 10 in left field. I know that that's caused quite a bit of stir um, in and around White Sox, Twitter and White Sox fans. It, it had been an, listen, you, you sign, they signed Andrew Benintendi. He's your left fielder, your general manager, your manager and your left fielder, Andrew Benintendi all talked about Eloy Jimenez being primarily a designated hitter in the coming season. And here at MLB network, has him in left field. I get it. Nobody likes to be short-sighted. Uh, nobody likes to be looked over. But still, I, I think this. Aloy Jimenez was one of the three best hitters in the American League in the second half when he came back from injury. Two things there. One, I know it's familiar to have Aloy return from injury. You want him to be healthy. And if you can grab 140 games from Jimenez, hopefully being the DH helps you do that, you've got quite an offensive uh, source there. The other is, it's a it's a tip of the cap. I mean, if you've got, I don't know, let's just say this is maybe how it happened. A producer working hard, just shifted over to the top 10 right now, beat, has to go ahead and put together a list. And that list makes it on air before, I don't know, Brian Kenny can vet it or something like that. And you got Jimenez at 10th because his stats fit that bracket, but he doesn't really figure to play a lot of left field. They're worst situations. They really are. He's a heck of a bat, and that should be good. Now, speaking of big bats, or at least uh, impactful ones, the Twins and Marlins made a deal late, uh, middle of the afternoon yesterday. Luis Arise, the man who broke up Dylan Cease's no-hit bid last year. Luis Arise is no longer a pesky twin. He's going to be a Marlin, a fish. The trade was made, and Pablo Lopez, a starter, goes to the Twins. Two prospects as well. I think the Twins are clear winners in this trade. And that's, uh, I, you know, I'm not taking shots at Arias. He's a dangerous hitter and a guy you absolutely have to worry about. But we talk quite a bit in this day and age about what batting average alone can do for you. Arias is not a power threat by any stretch. Um, and he is um, defensively a little bit limited. Now, the Twins made an interesting decision here in getting rid of Arias and trusting some of the young, you know, kind of up-and-coming infielders that they're going to have to rely on. But they absolutely bolstered the rotation some. And the, the Cliff Notes version of this trade is that with the signing of Carlos Correa and now better depth in the rotation, Twins, White Sox, and Guardians all figure to be a three-team race for the Central in 2023 we'll cover exactly that next week on white Sox weekly that's going to do it for us big thanks to charlie bevins our producer happy birthday to len casper we'll talk to you next week right here on espn 1000